Hi, I'm Ray, a storyteller, educator, mom, and your host of Homeroom, an international podcast bridging the education gap between the classroom and the living room. Growing up, my single immigrant mom was so busy working multiple jobs to make ends meet, she couldn't afford to give me a lot of her time. So she relied on schools to teach me everything about how to succeed in life. But under-resourced and over-standardized, our one-size-fits-all education system had other priorities. In this liminal space of unmet expectations, I fell into a blind spot. Homeroom is my attempt to figure out why. In this first season, I speak with people in all walks of life from around the world about their own experiences with their education systems. I want to know what worked, what didn't, and what ideas they have on improving it for our next generation. In this episode, I speak with Michiko, a mom, wife, and cultural chameleon about her education journey spanning multiple countries, including Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, South Korea, and the United States. We talk about her earliest memories growing up in a home filled with caring family members and how her varied schooling experiences influenced her self-view. We also discuss how the way her brain works differed from those of her peers and what changes the mass education model can make to better accommodate for people with like needs. Here is our edited conversation. Growing up, I lived with my grandmother, with my mom, uncle, auntie, and two cousins, and my two siblings. I'm the oldest child. So I had so much fun with, okay, my mom's off to work. I can talk to my cousins. I can hang out with them. Once I get back from home, somebody's always there for me. Uh, I don't have to have worries in my head all by myself. There's always somebody I can turn to. And if the household are too busy, there's always somebody else who could be there with me. I could go to a different grand parents well that it's not grandparents in english it's grand grand uncles and grand aunties house and they have their families as well in their house that i can socialize with it's different i think what uh, my child is currently missing is the variables of people's personalities she hasn't had much exposure to different um train of thoughts or different opinions that are polar opposite of each other in which growing up that's all I've been exposed to is that this uncle think this way about topic A this uncle says B or Z even um, and they're still family they still get along they don't polarize and um, fight with each other uh, just because they have different opinions doesn't mean that they don't want a better future for everybody. It's just that they have different opinions. Um, So getting that exposure, getting that support system, getting that different um, household experience, I enjoyed that. It made me who I am today. I think I have a clearer mind than if I didn't have that previously, especially coming from a single parent situation. So that's what that's that's my preferred method of communi- communal um 
parenting, I should say, for my child. I think that would be great. Yeah. You know, th- this kind of reminds me of something I listened to recently. Uh, there's a doctor named Amy Shaw, Dr. Amy Shaw, and she was recently mm-hmm. on a podcast and she was talking about how to have a healthier gut because gut health is, you know, you know, she was talking about, and there's so much research out there that like, you know, our gut is our second brain, the gut brain access and how they're always in communication with each other. The gut influences things like depression, you know, anxiety, all of those things. And um, Dr. Shaw was saying that one of the ways to reset your gut and to heal it is to be around people who rejuvenate you. So being in community with people is really good for your gut health. Um, And so you're talking about like being with your cousins and your uncles and all of them having different perspectives and you being able to sort of receive that and, and see that they still all care about each other, even when they disagree. And that's a very important lesson, I think, for children. And when we're thinking about like our physical health, we actually need to be exposed to community and be able to understand things from different perspectives in order to be a fully functioning person, human being. And so, you know, in many ways, School is kind of supposed to be that community for our children. And I'm curious about what your experience was like at school and whether you had that same fondness for your teachers and for your peers, you know, either in Indonesia or in Kuala Lumpur where you did high school. And I would love to know more about those two forms of, I guess, influence during your formative years? I was not a very good child. I didn't like sleeping at night. Um, so I don't like getting up in the morning either. I didn't have, I usually don't have breakfast and then I was sent to school. I did not have lunch because usually I don't bring lunch with me. Um, provided or not, sometimes as a child, it's just I don't bring it to school. And so I get hungry. Once I'm hungry, I get home from school around one and then only then I get some sort of nutrient in me so I was I've always been a short kid I've always been a skinny kid mostly because those things that I think the adults around me should be responsible for maybe I'm just blaming them but that side of raising a child was not taken care of properly and so I had a hard time adjusting. I had a hard time learning. Um, I don't think I was reading when I was in second grade. Maybe I was. But I just have a very distant memory of putting on a face, putting on a mask every single day at school, at least during elementary school. A whole lot of that was for having a different name, having a different appearance than my peers, and being the youngest child in the in the in the class, I wonder. Maybe maybe I was, and then I stayed back a year, or maybe that was 
see, it's 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 a very vague memory that I have in elementary school. I'm pretty sure the only things I look forward to was having some sort of pocket money so that I can eat from, um, not the cafeteria because that's not what they have. Um, they have th- these stalls which they sell snacks with lots of MSG and salts and all sorts of red food coloring. It's it's just not a very good place for me. I didn't have a fun memory of elementary school. I don't know if I can tell you one of my teacher's name anymore mm. from the first six, seven years of my life, of my school life. What was the reason your family didn't think to provide you with a breakfast or lunch? Was that cultural? Did it have something to do with lack of resources? Was it sort of like lack of oversight or understanding and education of what children needed to be healthy? I'm kind of just curious about that. Yeah, um, that was not their fault. Their, not not their fault at all. So growing up, we had at least three mates at a time in the house, um, two gardeners. Um, a couple of drivers for um, different family members. So it's not because of the lack of resources. We're, or they were very much well, well, well off. stocked in that, you know, well off in that situation. Um, however, they very much, they, they take into account that if it's made at home, then it's healthy food. If it's made outside of the home, it's snack. It's junk food. So that's that's the per, that's the perception I've um be, I've received ever since I was born, I think. But on that very same account, not everybody is home all the time. So when they're home, everything is dandy. When they're not home, everybody else is going to take care of me who are not family members. Which means that if I get up late, and I still have to be driven to school then I will be driven to school without time for food. So there's that. And then I will have to be driven to school. And then I believe that taking my lunchbox was my, lunchbox was my responsibility. I could be wrong. It's been a long time. I don't remember much um, of that age period. I don't know if I, I've been looking through all the ADHD page on um, different social media accounts. And I always wonder if I would fall into that category just because of how much I relate to all their concerns. Undiagnosed, but I have a gut feeling that at least at that time, I'm very much in that category. Anyway, um, I would say that I was not very responsible. I like to get up late. I don't listen to grown-ups very well. I just like I I just I didn't care much about food and I didn't understand how important that is until I get hungry and then the next day I would forget about it and continue repeating it. I don't know if the teachers would ever speak to my aunts or my mom. My mom was not there. She, she's, 
she's the provider of my household anyway. Um, and she works all the time. It's very tough to work as a single mother in Indonesia just because the expectations is the men usually provide for you. And if you don't... Um, if you don't spend as much time at work as your peers, then you're not really working. You're not really a good worker. And so mm-hmm. she would spend all day at work and would come home to sleep. We would speak for a few moments and then we'll go to sleep and get back in the morning and she's already gone. So it's provided. It's at home. I didn't bring it to school. Long story short. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> um, and also to your to your comment about ADHD, I think um, mm-hmm. I think I'm not a medical expert by any definition, and mm. um, I don't. I just, but that said. I think that the way that we categorize mental illness or mental disabilities or learning disabilities or brain differences, anything we – how we categorize it in the mainstream is very narrow and it's, it's from a singular perspective. It is not something that I would blame the diagnostic over. I would just say that if at that time the people around me understand or understood the way my brain works, it would have made a whole lot of difference in how they would um, convey themselves or at least ex- made, made the expectation of me. Um, and I know for sure that it's not a disability, at least not for me. So if if um, one person hearing this would say that I am at the worst or the, the most highest ADHD template and it's giving me so much difficulty adjusting to social life, I can totally understand, but I... I'm not I'm not discriminating against it. I'm not trying to put it aside. It's just that I can see how how much masking I made during my childhood, mm-hmm. how much of my memory is lost because none of it is from my perspective. I was just seeing the surrounding area. I can I remember in the middle of the courtyard there's this little um tiny it's not tiny. It's it's a little area where it's not proofed there are different bushes and it's it's a, it's a little it's it's very pretty it's an, an open area where all the plants are and it's surrounded by um, cement blocks i would go through that cement blocks every break period every lunch period non-stop if you see a child doing that every day every break every lunch hour you would think that something is going on right that's that's the most vivid memory I have mm-hmm. of elementary school. And I don't know why I did that. I remember fainting in the morning or in the afternoon. 
Now thinking back about it, I'm probably it's probably because I didn't have enough food in me. But I don't speak about that because I didn't think that it was such a big deal. If people ask me, why why are you not feeling well? And I just I was just standing, and then I wasn't standing anymore. I didn't have the correct. Um, I I. I guess I didn't understand the logic behind why I did things, and um, if people question me, I didn't think of it as an attack, but I just didn't understand how I'm supposed to answer it. There's no chronological order as to why things happen; things just happened. So, yeah, people would say that oh, Michiko was such a problematic child, and I say I agree. I agree. I did. I definitely did not fit into the standard of a very Good, you know, obedient child. That was not me. <laughs> hmm. So I want to unpack that a little bit. So in Korean、mm-hmm. culture, so even though I was born and raised in the United States, everybody in my house spoke Korean. Like that was the default. And so you know,、mm-hmm. my grandparents couldn't speak English, so they spoke to me in Korean. And so that was the language I needed to communicate with them through. And my mother, she spoke English, but we kind of went back and forth from using English and Korean.、Um, oh. But the governing philosophy was that it was a Korean household, and so there was a hierarchy of you're the littlest person and you have the least amount of power, and so you are going to do everything that we say. And so you know, like even in the language, even in the Korean language, there is a lot of hierarchy,、um, mm-hmm. right? You always know where you are in the hierarchy, and、um, and so I heard from a lot of Korean people who have learned Indonesian say that Indonesian is actually easier to learn for them. Because there is less hierarchy and there are less labels and names for the same types of things, and so I'm curious about how language and culture、um, sort of influenced or like opposite influenced,、um, you know, <laughs> your your understanding of your identity. You talk about how you weren't very obedient, and I'm wondering, was it? Expected of you to be obedient. Was it expected of you to have the least amount of power, kind of like in Korean culture?、Um, so yeah, if you want to, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Actually, that's not at all the case. At least in、um, the environment that I've brought,、uh, I've been brought up in. Um, at least I, I I would say in my family, but it extends farther than the family circle. I would say actually the smallest child in the house have the most power, because life surrounds or it they they they're very nurturing. We don't have a different word for he and she. It's only one, and that is dia. The other person, whoever they are. Female, male, older, younger—it doesn't matter. It—it's—it's—it's it's just that one word. The more hierarchy there are, I would say that that would be with 
once you enter school, you understand that there are seniors, but it doesn't mean that they are worth more than we are or that they have more say about things. It's just that they have experience more. So we, we respect the elder, no matter how many months they are um, older than we are. We don't usually ask how old you are. Um, we can just say from their behavior that they look like they're older. And so I have to be respectful when talking to them. But it's not with vocabularies. It's not by... I know when I was in Korea, I had the hardest time with picking the formal language and when I should use them and how I should carry myself among the, I don't know, harmony and the people around me anyway. It's it's just very difficult because I was not used to that. I, I didn't understand that here are the differences. I had to learn what the differences are because in my head, everybody's the same. Um, it's not that um, I was... Okay, so I was disobedient because kids who are obedient, like, you know, people who do their homework, get better grades. Um, kids who listen to their parents and hold their hands while they're in a mall, they get praise saying, thank you so much for holding my hand. Thank you for not running away from me, right? That there's appreciation to kids who listen to their parents when they're expected to listen. Um, I had a hard time listening to, um, to, I had a hard time listening to, what is that? Commands. That's the right word, right? To commands. If, if you're given commands, those are the important things that you need to follow. I don't. I, I didn't follow those commands um, because it's for my safety, it's for my well-being, and yet for some reason, I didn't. Not because I didn't want to listen, it's because for some reason, it's just, it's just not in my head at all. So, no. Uh, people, it, I mean, uh, the, it's not that... Luckily, I'm very thankful for it because I understand that there's a whole lot of burden um, being put on you growing up from very little that you have to put others before yourself. Um, thankfully, I didn't have that burden on me at the time, but I still didn't fit into the mold. Let's just say that I did not fit into that good, obedient mold of child making things easier for their parents to keep themselves safe. And thriving at school. Yeah, that's not me. Yeah, so that was the same for me. I was very much like in my own head. And so oftentimes mm -hmm. I remember like my teachers will say something and all of my peers are already on the other side of the room doing something. And I remember like looking up from what I'm doing and then finally realizing that I'm alone and that, oh, shoot, I should be somewhere else right now and I would have to go trail. And, um, you know, that was a memory that I had, but it wasn't until later in my life when I became an educator uh, and had students of my own and had students that were like me who didn't follow commands because they were off in their own land that I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I <laughs> must have been a very difficult student 
for my teachers to like. Um, but I mean, I also had that sort of intuition that, oh, my teachers don't like me because just the way that they treated me or they talked about me or they looked at me because they were like, here she is again, not did her homework, didn't do her homework, still not paying attention or whatever it was. Uh, but I'm curious when you had that awareness of, oh, I was not an obedient kid. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Very early on, my um, sister is only 18 months younger than me. And she's the poster child of great student. She's the definition of if you're looking for a great student, there, there she is. So it's very early on, but I didn't mind it. I was just me being myself. I, the way I remember things is by pictures when I was a child. Right now, I, don't, I, I can't tell you what I saw. But when I was a child, the way I remember things is by pictures. And so if I took a look at somebody's license plate, I can remember it until right now. But I, if people say something, I don't remember them. So if it's, I, I would say that if it's visually, I can relate myself to it very well. So when people are, when my teacher, for example, put stuff up on the board, I can see it. When I was looking at it, I absorb the knowledge as a picture. And then the other side to that is if the numbers are different and then I would have to do the calculation in my head. But then I understand that there's a concept behind it. But when people are talking to me about it, if it's through audio teaching, no, that's not it. If they're telling me about things verbally, it's so easy for me to not hear it anymore. So if I would say that if it's a picture, it's always there. If it's if it's a song or if it's um if it's somebody's telling me something, it goes from one ear to the other. I hear it at the moment, but afterwards <laughs> it's 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 strange. And I'm it's the still same. the case for me. Really? Yes. I've never met anybody who could relate though. Oh my what? gosh. Yes. I think I, I couldn't I can't. I had the hardest time. I mean, growing up, I adjusted eventually. So when I'm speaking on the phone, I can hear it, I can digest it, and then I can respond to it, right? But if it's something that I keep having to do, I would rather put it in writing, see it, and then I would remember it better than if I just keep hearing things. And so that's what I did was for the better part of my school years is that I keep things in writing very well not decoratively but it's just very well organized because if that's organized in my head if my notebooks are organized those things are in my head i can understand better and therefore i perform better with all the testing which i don't agree with to be honest i don't under I, I, yeah that really oh thank goodness <laughs> you are definitely <laughs> not, not alone one. but you know the more and more i speak to people on this podcast i'm realizing that we are actually the majority, like people who think in pictures, or maybe not the majority, but um, there are a lot of people who think in that similar way. And, you know, luckily, you figured that out when you were a student. Um, I largely 
did not figure that out until I went to grad school, which was, you know, in my 30s, right? You made it to grad school, though. <laughs> oh, but the thing is, you think I majored in something where, like, <laughs> I I was an art major, and then I went to grad school for filmmaking, and so, like, um, I could rely on my picture, like, uh, my picture memory, my the way that I thought, how I naturally thought. Um, and so, mm. like, I probably couldn't have been successful if I majored in, like, something more respectable. <laughs> um, like, I don't know. I, I can't even think right now. Uh, but, like, for historian, right? I don't think I could have have gotten that far if I went to law school or, you know, things like that. Um, but because I relied on subjects where I was taking what was in my mind out – uh, I was able to do school. Yeah. And so I want to know for you, like, how did you know in high school to systemize or turn the way that you think into a system that allowed you to, you know, succeed as a student? Hmm. I was, I didn't do well in science. And so I had to go back a year and attended or, or moved to um, the arts program. And it's not arts, drawing, music, not that kind of arts. But I went through the business, made, well, it's not a major, but the business topic. Um, and in there, I had business management, commerce, accounting, and what was the other one? Oh, math, because I, I had the um, Adexel testing system in high school and that's through Cambridge um, the, in the international school, that, international school that I attended and during that time I took a lot of notes. My teacher took a lot of notes and we are expected to note those notes and the first day it worked. It's It's just that you know, every kid le learns differently. Some kids learn so differently that unless you practice it, it's not going to be understood that you actually get it if this path of learning is taken. Yeah. So should I, should I, should, should my baby have a difficult time in learning? Now myself internally understood that brains are just built differently. If one thing doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. You don't have to keep following the things that don't work for you. Go to a different path and we'll find it together. But it's by accident. I would say that it's an accident. Had I stick to the science path, I would still be struggling. I would still be receiving horrendous, horrendous, oh, it's so bad, testing results. Um, but I gave up a year to graduate, which was not a big deal to me because I guess education-wise, I understand how important it is in our social structure. However, me for myself, I didn't put that in the first and foremost primary goal of my life. So I gave it up. And then the first day I was doing well. It's, it's bizarre. 
it's really bizarre because for the rest of my school year, it's just textbook, test, textbook, and then people talk, convey things to each other, and then we get the test. But note taking was not a big part of it, and so I do I didn't get it. I just thought that the textbook is it. If you read it, you should be able to get it. But no, it needs to be on a board, and then get in my head. And then we talk about it. That part is lost. So most of the interaction of that study topic is lost, right?、Mm. Once I'm in that school, I understood completely what it is I need to do for me to actually remember all the knowledge that they're trying to convey to me, the teachers. I mean, because、yeah. you were able to take notes. Because I was most of the studying is by. Taking notes, yeah, and going through different questions. So, they they reiterate the questions, and then we'll have to think of it, and then keep taking notes, and that's it worked. So, there's a lot of talk in the air right now about how you know schools don't schools tell you what to teach. But they really should、mm-hmm. be teaching you how to learn, or sorry.、Mm-hmm. So, a lot of school. There's a lot of talk in the air right now about how schools teach you what to think, but they really should be teaching you how to think.、Um, and I'm really thinking like school did teach me a lot of things about how I learn and how I don't learn. And what I would like in the future is for my daughter to go to a school or be schooled in a way where she is taught how to learn. And by that, I want to identify how she learns best, how she prefers to learn, and figure out systems and. You know ways that will help her understand her brain the best,、um, and so that she can control her brain rather than the brain controlling her, and、mm-hmm. so that she can actually go out into the world and function properly,、uh, and be in community and communicate her thoughts directly and without any kind of shame or. Fear that she's not articulating herself correctly, because that is what I—that was what I lived my life like, and I don't want her to experience that. And so I can relate. Yeah, and so I want to know, like, if you can envision an ideal system where you can help your daughter learn. The way that she needs to learn. What are some things that you would change in the education systems that you had to go through to make that happen? Well, that would be by changing my experience in my head. I would say that one would be. Instead of having forty children in the class, the teacher would have at least one one-on-one time with me, and I'm sure by that time they would see that I was not 
I was very different with from other kids my age. Um, I don't know. I can't diagnose myself as a child because it's it's a very biased view. But I can see that they should be able to connect that this child is not. Things we're working are not working on her. That assumption alone would have made a whole lot of difference. Had that thought be conveyed to someone who would be able to do something about it? Who have had experience with different child? Um, I think they could find a way or at least practice different ways with me to see which one would work better for me. I can't say for my daughter just because so far I have not had any um, indication that she is having trouble digesting information, which, thank goodness, thank goodness. She is so well-spoken compared to me when I was 10 years old, and she's only four. Thank goodness. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah. yes. Um, how we would be able to how I would envision things that would work for my kid would be experimentation. If things are too sturdy, if things are too boxy, say this is all you get because this is what we're going to provide for you, that's not going to work. For my kid, for others' kids, I'm sure there needs to be some flexibility in at least knowing that some things don't work at all for this child. And so... How about we give a little bit of I, I don't like comparing this to a disability, but people with disability are given a tool, be it, for example, if they can't walk, they could have crutches or um, have um, um, instead of stairs they get ramps right maybe we could find a way that works with other kids in the class and yet get an extra something something I'm not sure what that is depending on how the other child could learn better a tool so that maybe they don't have to spend too much extra time with this child but maybe they can take it home so that whatever it is that they're discussing in school, they can retry with that different way of putting the lesson so that it's actually understood. It's not just talk about at school. It's not just copy-paste thing, the information. It's actually, here's a theory that you need to understand. And it's understood. I think, again, how, how you put it is that learning how you learn is going to work so much better in the long run. Thank you for tuning into our conversation. Speaking with Michiko about her childhood experiences of passively navigating her life reminded me a lot of my own internal struggles of being disconnected from my locus of control. 
Unlike my peers, I did not have a firm grasp of the external world. I remember one time being so engrossed in a craft activity that when I looked up, the entire class had moved on to the other side of the room, settling into the next lesson. I quickly got up and quietly sat down in the back, feeling ashamed. But this is how I spent the majority of my childhood, feeling confused about what I was supposed to be doing or how I was supposed to be doing things or even where I was supposed to be. And for a long time, I let this character flaw be one that defined my entire identity. Slow, obtuse, aloof, clueless. But now, looking back at the little girl who would rather color for hours than listen to her teachers or get lost in building things with her hands, that she could tune the rest of the world out? I didn't need to know what I was supposed to be doing because I already knew what my interests and skills were. And I already had my own way of doing things. Our education system exerts control and power to manage students' performance and behavior, but it only detracts us from developing our own internal locus of control. It's time we change that. Thank you so much for listening. If any part of this episode resonated with you, please connect with us on social media at the links in the show notes. And if you'd like to share your own education journey with us on this podcast, please send me a DM on Instagram. Thank you.